Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. At this point, you're invited to take out your Bibles. We're going to be looking at Psalm 42 again. Uh, Last week, we looked at the first seven verses. This week, we're just going to look at the psalm as a whole. Um, As you're finding the passage, I just want to make note um, that last week when we talked about uh, that continuum of languishing and flourishing, uh, we also noted uh, this need for lament and uh, ability to take our our pain um, and uh, languishing before God. And we had an opportunity uh, to do this uh, just this past Thursday. So uh, if you saw on social media, I think we emailed this out as well, but we just had a service of prayer uh, between between four of the different CRC churches in our area. And one of the uh, highlights for me in that service was just giving that space for lament. And what that looked like was there was the table up front with a a basin and two jugs of water, and they were filled with salt water. And people were invited to come up, and they were invited to share what was on their hearts from the last week, um, how they have been impacted. And then they were invited to take that jug and to pour some of that water in. Um, representing the the bitterness that they might feel, um, but also representing the saltiness, the tears that have been shed. And and it was powerful to have a a symbolic way of entering into some of that grief that some people were sharing and maybe holding on to privately and be able to offer that in the midst of worship. Uh, Today, we're, we're not going to be looking at lament again, but we're just going to be looking at the psalm as a whole taking a deeper look at what this psalm may have to speak to us about mental health, but also about who our God is. So let's read this together. For the director of music, uh, Maskell of the Sons of Korah. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where, when can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls, all the waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, 
Where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to have your Bibles open um, throughout this as I'll refer back to different passages. Um, as I mentioned uh, last week, we had this diagram of languishing and flourishing mental health, and, and we might want to add a, a little triangle in there to add that uh, really helpful image of that teeter-totter. Um, but there's also this recognition that all of us exist somewhere between the languishing and the flourishing, uh, that this just isn't a conversation about uh, mental illness, uh, but this is about everyone and our own understanding of what does it mean to be a healthy person? What does it mean to be somewhere in this continuum between flourishing and languishing when it comes to our mental health? This past week has likely moved a lot of us towards, this, uh, towards the languishing. And this is not about um, how strong and how faithful we are of where we are on this. Um, it's not a sign of weakness to be towards languishing. It's simply naming the realities, the stresses that are surrounding us, and perhaps taking into account the need to care for ourselves in different ways. Some of us have gone without meals, had extra work on their farms, some of us have lost sleep, wondering about our homes or if our loved ones would be okay. Our thoughts and our feelings have been impacted. We've been anxious about what the future will look like, how our work might be impacted, maybe the extra work in the upcoming weeks. Others have felt helpless, wanting to help but just not knowing how to. Others have felt isolated unable to connect with the people that you love, and others have felt maybe separated from God in this time, that your spiritual well-being has been impacted as well. All of this impacts our health. Our mental health is complex. Um, one model for understanding mental health is called the biological, psychological, social, spiritual model. Um, at least that's, that's how it was introduced to me. Um, I think they're working on a better name, but until then, that's what we got. Um, but it's very descriptive of what it's about. Um, it incorporates the biological aspects of ourselves. Um, this could mean, are, are we eating well? Are, are we sleeping well? Uh, how is your body itself? Uh, but another key component of the biological aspect of our health is the, our brain and whether or not it's um, giving up the right sorts of, of chemicals. Um, if we have something that's not releasing the right stuff to balance ourselves out, we won't be in a good place. And in those spaces, medication will be needed. So we have that biological component, but there's also a psychological component. Uh, this involves our thoughts and our feelings and all of the complexities that are in that part of our lives. There's a social component, how we're relating with others, and then there's a spiritual component, how all of this 
impacts how we understand God in the midst of this. And while we can talk about each one of these individually, um, they, they don't operate in, in complete separate little spaces. Part of the complexity is that they're interconnected. Each, each one relates to the other ones. We, we can be affected in our emotions and in our moods about something, and that might interrupt or have an effect on our social lives. It might have an effect on our spiritual lives. And this is part of what makes this such a challenging and complex conversation. This complexity means that we, we should likely shy away from providing simple answers. Um, something spiritual means that um, treating something as only spiritual, saying that all we need to do is pray uh, to be able to solve it, might neglect some of the very real biological components. Or if we're only psychoanalyzing things and we neglect the spiritual aspect, we're, we're missing another key aspect of what makes us healthy as people, as persons that God has created. And God created us with these complexities. We are created for community. We are created for these rich and diverse thoughts and feelings meant for this wide range of experiences that this world has to provide. When these things are not working um, in harmony, we, we experience that deeply. And as the events of the last week has maybe made us more aware of our need to care for others, I'm looking at this, of how we can be providing that social care, how we can be helping others and providing um, reminders of needs for uh, both medication or for um, spiritual care, that we are upholding each other in prayer. The psalmist, though, isn't necessarily working from this model, of course. Uh, but using these categories can be helpful in understanding ourselves and the psalm and who God is in a deeper way. Uh, so we're going to look through the psalm and seeing different facets of um, these components. Um, just quickly going through the first two, spending some more time on the third one of our social connections, and then, of course, finishing with that spiritual um, needs that we have. So beginning with the biological standpoint. Um, admittedly, not as much in the psalm to comment on here. We see a uh, little bit later on that his, his bones, uh, what is the wording there? His... Um, his bones are feeling mortal agony. Um, or there's also reference towards uh, tears becoming his food. Um, that, that in the midst of his languishing, in the midst of his grief and lostness, that he's not eating properly. Um, and we know this is poetic language. This isn't necessarily meant uh, to be taken that literally or, or seriously. Uh, but that metaphor... The choice of those words comes from somewhere. Um, we recognize that in the, in the space of the spiritual um, languishing, there's also a, a biological effect. We see how these things can be interconnected, that people in the midst of their grief sometimes are not able to, to fuel themselves in that way. 
And we're reminded that the need to stay healthy in the long term may mean paying attention to each of the different aspects of ourselves. Oh, just as a brief aside here, um, some people in the biological component, just while we're there, uh, is some people find it very liberating uh, to understand their mental health challenge is due to a biological factor, this kind of chemical imbalance, and what's needed for help for them is medication. Uh, Sometimes Christians can lack that freedom to use this medication uh, because they, they find that this might be a sign of a lack of faith, that God is providing healing, or, or that maybe this is making their recovery journey less authentic, uh, that it's not them um, powering through it, that it makes it less valid. Uh, but just a note here that medication can be the means through which we are able to grow in our flourishing in other areas, including our understanding of who God is. This can be part of this long-term understanding of what it means to be people in flourishing. Uh, The the second part here is the psychological. And I'll keep this one brief uh, because it's a big word and it's intimidating to me. Um, I took Psych 101 twice. Um, We commented a little bit on the psychological aspects last week. Um, This is a person who is feeling the anguishing um, and they are turned deep uh, inwardly, deep within. They're dwelling on the past and how good it used to be in these spaces of worship. That remembering of that joy is there. And they're also having these feelings that are characterized by this deep longing. They're, it's compared to this longing for the thirst to be quenched. They yearn for healing and renewal like a deer yearning for water. Uh, there's, there's complexities in this person with their history and their identity that need to be taken in consideration as well. Uh, the third component that is also present in our psalm is the social one. Um, most obviously, we see social interactions being affected uh, where this person is surrounded by enemies and his foes. It seems like all the people around him are against him. They are asking him. So in the beginning, he is feeling distant from God, but on top of that, the people around them are taunting him, saying, where is your God? Also, he is reminded of the days where he could worship with the festive throng. So he's remembering a time where he was surrounding others in worship of God that there was the presence of other people in the midst of this, that this was part of the peak of his joy, and there's a sense of aloneness as the psalm goes. Um, Of the four different aspects of mental health, I think this one is one that um, might be underappreciated in the church or that stands some room for growth for us. I think... um, well, in, in medical journals, they, they talk about church communities as the, one of the ideal spaces um, for people to be able to be healthy because they provide two of these major components, at least. Uh, they provide a se- sense of community, of, of belonging, of companionship, uh, but they also are communities centered around the spiritual care. 
So like when, when journals, when um, medical facilities look at a church, they think there's so much opportunity here. Um, but then in the reality of the churches, there's a disconnect where this can often be an actual place of hurt, a place where um, they, people feel like they hide um, whatever mental illness or mental health challenges that they're encountering. The social component ought to bring a challenge to the church as we are meant to be a community that shows love and love in the way of Jesus. I'm reminded of John chapter 13, where Jesus says to his disciples this, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The followers of Jesus are to be characterized. People are to be able to look at how we show our love and care for one another, and people are to be able to identify, okay, that's someone that loves in a way that is deeper and is different. Uh, Jesus was known throughout his ministry to go out of his way to, to work with people who were stigmatized, who maybe weren't talked to, whether it was the tax collector, the, the, the trader, the, the people who were sick, or the... Uh, Samaritans. He was always engaging with people that were on the outsides and marginalized. And we are called to live in a way that mirrors that. Now, of course, one way that we can be showing our love right now is in the helping of the, the people that have been affected by the flooding. Um, we've seen that love shown already in this community, and that's something that we can celebrate uh, we see this continued care and, and plans already in place for seeing how we can uh, continue to show up and show our love through bringing food or through practically helping ourselves, um, helping those with our, our own efforts. But it also, um, as time goes on, there will also be the need for caring for others in the midst of their, their mental health as fatigue sets in. Um, and I know one of the barriers that we have is that sometimes one way of helping can look just a lot more tangible. Uh, you know what it is to help someone when it involves building something or fixing something, uh, but it's less obvious of what it means to be a congregation that is one that is safe for people going through a mental health challenge. Um, one word that I have found to be really helpful in the midst of this is companionship. Um, companionship is this sense of being alongside someone else. I, I drew this, and Alisa made fun of me and said it just looked like two pillars, so I drew some faces. Um, if they're not great, it was because that was a last-minute thing. Oh, those poor guys. Um, but they're, they're just companions. Uh, they are side-by-side, side, uh, just being together. A line worth noting, if you're someone that takes notes, is companionship offers presence rather than solutions. Uh, if you spelt it wrong like I did the first time, it could um, accidentally look like this. Uh, maybe it's a visual to help you out. Um, offering presence rather than solutions, that's not it. Um, companionship offers presence rather than solutions. 
Uh, and that's important, I think, to note because our instinct, what we want to do is offer a solution. When, when we see someone that's hurting, we, we want to solve that and fix it right away. Um, but what is needed in the midst of this longer recovery journey is someone simply to be present and for people to be present with them. This can be as simple as offering hospitality. Um, hospitality is this word that just means that you're creating a safe space for someone else to be in. Um, it's not necessarily about having um, all the, the, the fancy dinnerware and, and being able to invite everyone to a, a big space, although that's, uh, that's invited as well. Uh, but hospitality at its core is simply providing a space where others can feel that ministry of presence. It can involve just finding common ground with someone. Um, companionship doesn't mean that you come in as the helper or as the solver for someone else, um, but it involves having these conversations that might involve talking about the weather and other things, but, but finding common ground with someone. Uh, a visual for this, again, is this side-by-side -side image. Uh, they have a common place from which they see the world. They look, they're turned around, they're, they're looking out there. And from that common space, the landscape looks similar. Neither person is in front with the right or the better perspective. They can both remain side by side through it. And again, uh, this being a, a church that is able to be present with others, it, it's not about being an expert. It's not about being able to have all the solutions. But it's being willing to see just being next to others as a space um, of healing. Uh, part of our mental health, whether or not you have a mental illness, but part of it is just having companionship, um, having others around that are there to be with you, to support you, that you can support others. Uh, this is why at Living Hope, uh, we have small groups, we have side-by-side -side ministry, we have other uh, essential fellowship spaces and times where, where we can just be present with one another. I wonder, the, the question that comes near the end here is what sort of community could we be where we know this as a space where people are willing to be with us through both our flourishing and our languishing? Uh, are we offering these spaces are we willing to seek out others to ensure uh, that they have people that are companions, that can be with them um, in the ups and downs that life has to offer? This is something that is um, maybe particularly relevant for us as we're not only weathering uh, the longer effects of pandemic and restrictions, um, but we need to be exercising these companionship muscles maybe a little more intentionally uh, especially those that have uh, continued to join us online. Which, which ways have you been able to uh, experience God's love and care through others? Have you been able to be uh, a companion for someone else as this time is elongated? And also in the midst of the flood and the flooding as people are navigating this and the extra tensions, how can we simply just be uh, companions for others? for these upcoming weeks, but also in the longer term, the, the months that are ahead.
So there's the th three different parts that were quite present in our um, discussion of the psalm, the biological, psychological, and social. And these are all in the periphery. They're present aspects. They just come out naturally because of the wholeness in which we are affected um, in the midst of languishing, that this is something that is very interconnected. Uh, but what the psalm is focusing on throughout the whole part is that spiritual connection. Um, and, and the psalm in itself, I think, is it's important to recognize it exists because of this deep need to see the spiritual parts uh, as part of our day-to-day -day rhythms. Um, that Tamara had mentioned uh, that the spiritual part needs emphasizing, that we need to have spiritual rhythms and, and habits that, we, that can carry us through, that we can cling to, uh, to have these reminders of who God is. And that whole psalm models that posture. Its, it's very existence comes from people who are putting together the psalm, psalms together. They're, they're writing these out. And as they're putting the psalm book together, they're making sure that all of human experience is in there. So they're, they're including psalms of joy, where there's this thanksgiving. Maybe it's the thanksgiving of the harvest, or maybe it's the thanksgiving of being in God's temple and being reminded of God's love and forgiveness. And those psalms are being written down and being compiled in that book. But there's also psalms here uh, of languishing, of saying, if we need uh, psalms, if we need a way of talking to God that inhabits every space, then we also need ones for the times where people are in this languishing in the midst of hurt, that they can take that spiritual part of their lives and speak that to bring that all before God. In verse 8, it kind of addresses this in a way by saying... By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So in the, in the midst of a psalm that talks about this distress within himself, which talks about this panting and need for God, they're thirsting for God like a, a deer thirsting for water at the river. Here we have a reminder that even in that space of languishing, there is God directing his love to this person. That at night, the song is actually with this person. Even though they might not be feeling it, they are still open to hearing God. They are speaking to God. This conversation is alive and open. A prayer to the God of my life. There's this continued listening and speaking to God and I think in a world that, that often um, downplays the spiritual parts of what it means to be a healthy person overall, um, this component is something that we need to be cultivating as well in our communities. We can be asking of ourselves, are we cultivating good spiritual habits that direct us towards God's love in this way? That even in the midst of our times of mental health challenge, we have practices that sustain our, our spiritual health. Uh, now, uh, we, we could finish there and on that sort of note, um, but I want to extend it to, to one more thing. Uh, the, the psalmist finishes, again, with this hope in God as their Savior naming God as Savior and as God. 
the one who brings the ultimate grounding, the one that brings the ultimate comfort in the midst of their hurting. And I'm reminded of a story uh, from someone by the name of Julian of Norwich. Uh, This is a person who lived in the England area uh, around 1300, so quite a while ago. And this person was someone that knew darkness. Uh, They they knew doubt. Uh, They lived at the same time, uh, some of the worst years of the Black Plague, which had killed uh, so many people in Europe. Uh, They knew what it was like to be in places that felt God-forsaken, that places where it felt like God wasn't there. And and in the midst of one of her times where where she was feeling this, uh, she was holding a little hazelnut um, in her hand, And she felt God saying to her to imagine this little thing as representing all of creation. That this little thing um, was to represent all the the past and future and present existence. And she thought of the vastness of creation, uh, but was also struck that it was so small, that, that in contrast to how large all of creation is, that what was actually sustaining this little thing that was in her hand, it was so insignificant. She was struck that it didn't collapse into nothingness, but that nothing was too small or too insignificant to be held in God's embrace. As she holds this little object in her hand, she hears God speaking to her three things about it, that God made it, that God loves it, and that God keeps it. And this is true, not just for the the object in her hand, but for all things of God's creation. It was true for herself. And we have this reminder of God as our creator, that God created out of this Trinitarian love, out of this love for everyone, this love that is to be shared with all creatures in God's world. Uh, this love was revealed to us in Jesus, in his sacrifice on, this cro- on the cross. Um, so we, we've been looking at Psalm 42 for the last two weeks. Um, something that I failed to mention uh, was that in, in the earlier kind of Hebrew manuscripts, Psalm, Psalm 42 and 43 compose one psalm. And, and I mention that uh, because there's a lot of continuity that runs through it. And I just want to bring up Uh, Verse 3 from Psalm 43, uh, because in the midst of this anguish that the person is feeling, they give this line, this this invitation to God. It says, send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. So that longing to be in the presence of God is there. And the hope is, comes from God coming to us. It's not us in our efforts and our ability to come up to God, but God showing in his light and his truth who God is. And that is revealed to us, that's answered to us as Christians through the person of Jesus. In John chapter 1, Jesus is introduced as the light to the world, bringing light in the midst of darkness. This is the light that was sent to give us our ultimate hope. 
The, the hope here was that, um, in, that's named in verse 3, is that God brings them to the place where God dwells. And in John chapter 1, we kind of get the inverse of that, where God comes and brings his light and his truth so that God's truth can dwell among them. And we know that through uh, the sending of the Spirit, that God's light and truth is with us. So remembering all of this, kind of taking all of this together, I want each person to take um, the object representing the hazelnut, if you couldn't find one at home, or the hazelnut itself um, into your hands here, just having something tactile that we can be holding. I want each person to take the object, to hold it in your hand, and just feel how small it is. And bring to mind God's creative power, his saving power, that God created all things, including yourself, that God loves God's creation. Why else would he create something? He didn't create out of an accident, but out of God's love, he made everything. There must be something good, even lovely, about the things that God has created. And I also want you to recall that God keeps it. God looks after each thing in his creation. Nothing can escape God's love, that there are no true God-forsaken spaces. God is the one who takes care of us, who loves us, who keeps us in the midst of our struggles. Uh, so I, I don't know where you are or what places you are in, um, whether you are dealing with a mental health diagnosis, um, that you struggle with mental illness, or maybe you've just been pushed towards languishing because of the flooding with uncertain futures. Uh, maybe you are just stuck seeing all the hurt and brokenness around the world and not knowing where to help. Whatever space you are in, this is meant to be a reminder of God who sends truth and light. So I invite you now, as we close, I'll invite the worship team forward. I invite you now into a space of prayer just holding this in our hands, to close your eyes and imagine with me. Imagine that the small thing in your hand represents all that is created. Imagine it represents your own life. Imagine it represents the life of someone else who is on your heart. Think of those affected by the flood. I want to invite you to give thanks to God for making it, for loving it, for keeping it, for making us, for loving us, and for keeping us. Thank you, God, for making it all, for loving it all and keeping it all. Thank you that you hold each of us gently with your tenderness. Help us to hold space for each other in the same way.
Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.